0: The Annex Wealth Management Show, the longest-running weekly personal finance radio show in Wisconsin. Annex Wealth Management is a local fee-only fiduciary providing investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning. Know the difference.
1: Goodbye, first quarter. Hello, Encouraging Inflation Data, and how are the banks doing? This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. In the next hour, great example of what Annex does on behalf of our clients, but I'm going to tell you at the top, it's just a sample. Get the whole picture when you become a client. Investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning from a fee-only fiduciary. On today's show, when you help support your adult children, what is the impact on your retirement plan? Ask Annex is on the way. Roth questions, questions about gifting stocks. What about those out-of-favor sectors, and what's the difference between all those S&P 500 ETFs. Talking insurance isn't exciting, but the Annex Wealth Management Insurance Assessment is important. It's what we do for our clients. The show always begins with a look at the Week in Review to do that, Jason Cooper, research analyst and part of the Annex Wealth Management investment team is here. Welcome. Thanks, Danny. Dave Spano is our president and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Thank you, Danny. And, of course, Jason,
2: a lot going on. On Friday, we closed uh, up 414 points on the Dow Jones, and the S&P 500 is now over 4,100. A lot of really good numbers this past week.
3: Yeah, broad-based rally across all of the equity market indices, including some of the smaller cap stocks, which led the week, but also... Within the fixed income space, credit was strong to end the week, with high yields credit spreads coming in, and that effectively means that bond prices went up. Yeah, that's right. And, of course, you know when
2: the NASDAQ goes up as much as it has, which has been 20% for the year, which seems shocking, the S&P 500 over 7% for the year, and then you talk about what's happening with the Treasury market, that obviously is what's happening with the Federal Reserve, certainly signaling that what's called the terminal rate, where they're going to stop raising rates is near there. In fact, the market is suggesting that we may be at that
3: terminal rate now. Yeah, the terminal rate is probably going to be at around 5%, and that's effectively where we are at the moment, and as our CIO, Derek Felsky, has said, once you start to get towards that pause in rate hikes, you do tend to have a resumption in the equity market going higher, so that does tend to be a catalyst. It is funny, the other
2: thing that Derek brought up is that we may be in the eye of the storm. Explain what he means by that.
3: Well, when you think about a hurricane, you have that first headwinds or, or, or storm disruption, and that's effectively landfall. And from the market's perspective, that was the dramatic increase in the Fed funds rate that occurred in the last year. Now that we're in the eye of the storm, it's more of a wait and see, hey, maybe the economy is going to be able to deal with what's happening. We aren't seeing earnings collapsing. There's money on the sidelines. Maybe markets can go higher and maybe the economy can chug along. And of course that also
2: means that the other half of the hurricane could be coming which means that we could get a retest and there's a lot of conversation about that right now. When we mean retest you know, the S&P 500 I mean, it was around 35 or 3600 we're now at 4100. When people say retest, at least market technicians, that means it's going to go and retag that again before moving forward. There is some theory to that.
3: Yeah, and that would be consistent with what Derek had said in the past, you know, the second landfall of the hurricane um and that's caused by you know the economy decelerating into the back half of the year as monetary policy Acts with that long and variable lag, meaning that maybe the economy starts to weaken.
2: Yeah, and let's talk about that. So you know, monetary policy has a lag, and so all of these rate raises that the Federal Reserve has done, as we well know, seven of them last year, two in t- this year. So that is significant, and of course, that has a lag in effect because now the higher interest rates finally get into the economy, slows buying down, and that is the definition of a slowing economy. Here is the concern that, of course we may not see that until the back half of this year and that is another reason why we're concerned about what it's going to look like on the back half of 23 or early 24 and we talk about the the back half of the hurricane there are things that we have
3: to be careful of banks would be one of them so the fed the fdic and the treasury did a great job effectively backstopping the banking crisis but what they didn't do is change the opportunity cost in the market and annex as fiduciaries. We've been out there pounding the pavement saying, if you have excess money earning nothing on your deposits, put that into short-term treasuries. Put that into money market mutual funds where you can get a yield now approximating 5%. Well, these same regional and community banks, they can't hike up their deposit rates because they're sitting on loan and security books that are yielding maybe 2 to 3%. So if they try to compete, they are operating at a loss.
1: And we're going to continue that conversation right after the break excellent jason cooper research analyst part of the annex wealth management investment team is here dave these guys have a little bit of swagger that annex wealth management swat podcast is killing it if you like this segment you'll love the swat podcast every monday morning usually about nine or ten in the morning on the spotify channel We can review, always available, our YouTube channel, Axiom, Sunday mornings, Spotify at the top of the hour. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Saturday, April 1st. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. Custom-tailored investment and retirement planning from a fee-only
0: fiduciary. Know the difference. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show
1: on WTMJ. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. What we do is investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning as a fee-only fiduciary. Want to reach out and connect with us? The Axiom is a great way to do that. Our free weekly newsletter. Check out the Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel. We talked about the SWAT podcast. Again, we're in many different places. And it all starts, just head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. If we can help, click that Get Started button. Jason Cooper, Research Analyst at Annex Wealth Management in the studio. Dave Spano, President CEO.
2: Thanks, Danny. You know what? Next week, Danny, I'm going to be in London. And, of course, you talk about what's happening over there. Jason, inflation is off the charts. you think inflation is bad here in the U.S.? U.K. has a problem.
3: Yeah, inflation in the U.K. is up 10%, and they have similar problems to what we have. It was really, from from our perspective, a global shock where interest rates were just too low for too long and too much, was, too much money was injected into the system. Now they're dealing with the same ramifications that we are, but they're also more exposed to the war in Ukraine.
2: That's exactly right, and that turns the conversation to, of course, GDP. We got a report this past week that GDP report was 2.6%. Between 26 and 2.7%, that is a good number. Obviously, that's positive. We all now know that technically the definition of a a recession is two back-to-back quarters of negative GDP. So this past fourth quarter, showing positive GDP certainly pushes that recession conversation out a little bit. And there
3: are some, shockingly, who are still calling for a soft landing. I'm not sure if I would... uh call for a soft landing given what we might see happen in the back half of the year but certainly into the first quarter of 2023 the Atlanta Fed GDP now model is forecasting a 3.2% increase right. and that's been driven by stronger consumption and stronger non-residential investment and i think both of those areas might be challenged in the back half of the year namely on the consumption side we're starting to see you know warm notices so effectively preliminary announcements of potential layoffs, as well as continuing unemployment claims trend higher. Both of those are a leading indicator for a softer labor force.
2: And, and you think about that, and of course, it, unfortunately, if you get caught up in that, and when that could happen, there is a lot of companies that are laying off. If you get caught up in that, that certainly means that you need to do a deeper dive on what you did with your 401k plan, what you're going to do going forward. So financial planning is still going to be part of that conversation. I do want to spend a little bit of time on the banks because, of course, you know, the FVB, Silicon Valley Bank, certainly garnered a lot of attention as well as another bank failure. And people were saying, is this a domino? Will we see more coming down the road? But there's this thing that the Fed
3: has called the discount window. What is that? It effectively allows banks now. So they ex- they expanded eligibility of banks to pledge pristine collateral assets, so treasuries, mortgage ba- agency mortgage-backed securities in the discount window, and to access funds so that they don't have to take massive markdowns on their securities book during a potential bank run. And what that effectively does is it allows them to avoid bankruptcy, live to fight another day, and then also ensure that depositors know that there is a backstop that
2: is really good because, of course, the Federal Reserve has a lot of jobs, most notably the dual mandate that that they have, which, of course, is fighting inflation and staying and keeping the economy at full employment. But they also are supervising the banking system. So they have these two mandates going on at the same time, as well as the issue of overlooking the banks. There's one last piece that has been getting a lot of attention, and that is commercial real estate portfolios. That has been on the scuttlebutt this past week.
3: Yeah, and when you think about what's happened over the past couple of years, there's been a gigantic transformation about how we use commercial real estate, namely the hybrid environment that many of us enjoy from a working perspective. But that has ramifications also on how frequently people go into cities so you're seeing office space in certain cities trend lower from a price perspective and as a result many of the loans that particularly regional and community banks have issued from a commercial real estate perspective are questionable so they really need to focus now on shoring up their balance sheets what does that mean going forward two dozen publicly traded regional banks we're responsible for almost 40% of loan growth over the last couple of years. That's a tremendous amount of loan growth from a small subset of banks. And this, these types of loans, they fuel investment, they fuel consumption, and they allow the economy to just chug along. You take that away, and it's a real headwind for economic growth.
1: Jason Cooper, Research Analyst, part of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Team. Thanks for jumping on. Appreciate it. No problem. Dave Spano, he stays. Stick around. There is more to come. Dave is President and CEO Annex Wealth Management. Helping with cell phone bills, covering rent, loans, it adds up. Why supporting adult children might affect your retirement planning. That's next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. One team, one
0: plan, one fee. Annex Wealth Management
1: works in your best interest. Can your
0: advisors say that? This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management show on
1: WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Amy Bremer, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management is back. Hey, Amy. Hey, Danny. We've covered some interesting topics, my friend. Today's might be a little touchy, helping support adult children. You ready to dive in on this? Let's do it. All right. We're going to start with some stats about empty nesters. This is the moms and dads at home. 40% are helping support adult kids. The average monthly expenditure is... $254, I don't care who you are,
4: that's
1: a sizable chunk.
4: Well, when you think about it month over month over month, that adds up to several thousand dollars a year. So most folks think that when they're empty nesters, meaning their kids moved out, their kids are off the payroll but there's a lot of hidden expenses that are sticky, like the family cell phone plan. Some other folks help their kids out with rent, groceries, and student loan payments. lot yeah, I see you wince your face, student loan payments, those are really expensive. They're paused right now, but according to our source data here, that's the fourth biggest expenditure that parents help their kids out with.
1: Well, and wait till they start back up, right? Oh my gosh. Here's where we get into the uncomfortable spot, how to stop financially supporting adult children because you need to.
4: Yeah, and this is such a tough one. I mean, this originally comes from a place of love. I mean, you you love your kids, you want to help them succeed, and you think throwing them a little bit of cash here and there is going to do that, but it prevents them from living their own life and, you know, adulting, you know, hashtag adulting. It's easier, though, to start little by little. Maybe ask those kids for their 30 bucks a month for their cell phone bill. Don't just cut them off cold turkey because that's going to be a huge fall for the kid to make up. It's going to be expensive and difficult to overcome.
1: I do see parents and cell phone bills back and forth with their kids or or different things. Now, I don't know if they're paying it, but it's happening. It's happening quite a bit.
4: My stepson pays my husband But we do it through our bank account. We all bank at the same bank. But we keep them on the plane because it's cheaper. We also have my father-in-law on our cell phone plane because it's cheaper. Now, collecting money from my father-in-law is a little bit, you know, here or there. He's not as reliable as my stepson.
1: you got a little Jenga game. (laughs) Yeah, right. right. Sandwich
4: (laughs) generation for sure.
1: (laughs) Now, before you think Amy is just some sort of big old meanie, (laughs) here's the meat and potatoes reasons. By supporting adult children... Folks, you are affecting your own retirement. How's that work?
4: Yes, and it's the old adage of the flight attendants on the airplane, put your own mask on first before you help this person in the seat next to you. So a lot of this comes down to checking yourself first. How is your retirement fund going? Is it fully funded? Do you have your own credit card debt or your own car payments? Things like that. A lot of times families who help their children put their own financial health at risk. I see it quite often here at Annex when we help families on a one-on-one basis.
1: Now. That's if the kids are in tough financial straits and you're able to do that. And if you're able to do that, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Probably a different conversation. You're not helping your kids by stepping in and doing it.
4: Maybe in the short term, like you said, if they're in a tough spot, but in the long term, those kids become dependent on that income from mom and dad, and it's not sustainable over time. Another example is when you have kids who are professionals and clearly have enough money to do it on their own, but it's really easy to show up at mom and dad's house, get the Costco card and go put gasoline (laughs) on your home and mom and dad's dying.
1: Right. How about loans to adult children? Is it okay? Maybe if there's enforceable terms in place, you've got something written out.
4: This is tricky, Danny. I'm really glad you brought it up. So loans, if it's just a verbal agreement, yeah, a little tricky. You want to write something down and have them sign a promissory note. Even if it's a Word document that says, I promise to pay back mom and dad 250 bucks a month, love, child. The challenge is if you charge interest or not. And this is where it gets a little tricky with the IRS. If you don't charge interest on your tax return, there's something that's called imputed interest, which again gets really tricky. And so we would wanna talk with families on a one-on-one basis to guide them through that process. But most people don't report these loans on their tax return anyway. Now you're just kind of running the dice if you're gonna get an audit or not.
1: Adult children sometimes move in with parents, hopefully temporarily should there be a rent agreement in place?
4: That isn't. You have some good questions today, Danny, well done. So it reminds me of an article I read several years ago on the internet of this 40-year-old guy living with his folks, and the guy would not move out. I Mom is, Yeah, isn't <laughs> yeah. that nuts? Yeah. They had to take their kid to court to legally evict him. So rental agreement, yeah, you know, take it on a case-by-case basis, but I mean, Garner, that was the extreme. Well,
1: it's gonna be more than the $254, too. I, I think I read one, somebody lives at your place it's three four hundred bucks a month just because they're consuming stuff and using the washer dryer and energy and heat
4: yes yeah there's definitely a, a cost related to that and if you can recoup some it's a good agreement if your kids live at home because you can charge them less in rent that they'd pay at market yeah. and then you can get a little bit extra cash on the side so if you can come to a mutually beneficial arrangement i don't see how that's a problem but just don't have to evict your kid
1: <laughs> is this a place we step into with our clients
4: a little bit It's a little bit challenging to navigate those situations with families.
1: It's hard, but Amy has outlined the case to at least consider taking some necessary steps. We are ready to help with financial, retirement, tax, and estate planning. First stop, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Amy Bremer, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Good stuff. Thanks for joining us. Always my pleasure, Danny. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management show for Saturday, April 1st. How about that? Bottom of the hour. Let's get caught up and head to the WTMJ Breaking News Center planning and investing insight from a fee-only fiduciary
0: and we put that in writing you're listening to money talk the Annex Wealth Management Show on WTMJ.
1: Back on Ask Annex. As always, got a question for us? Head to the website. Look for the Ask tab. If we can help, click that Get Started button. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management in the studio. Hello. Hello. And we got Matt Moores, the Investment Team Manager and CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Hello, sir. All right. First one is from Bob. Can I contribute to my own Roth IRA and to my work 401k Roth plan?
5: Yes, Bob, you can contribute to both. It is possible to do both Roth IRA and your Roth 401k at work.
1: So just load both those bad boys up? You bet. Question two is from Ted. There must be at least 200 S&P 500 ETFs. What's the
6: difference? Uh, most likely, nothing. They're going to be very, very similar. A couple things to watch out for is first is how are they constructed? So most of them are going to be what's called market cap weighted, which is the largest companies are going to have the biggest impact within the fund, just how the S&P 500 is created. The next biggest group would be equal weighted, which is all 500 as so companies. I think there's technically 505-ish right now, are all have the same weight. So the biggest company, Apple, is going to have the same weight as the smallest company within the S&P 500. So that's an equal weighted index. So that's the most important thing to look at. Next would be expense rate. So how expensive is each one? Most of them, as fees have come down in the industry, have become very, very low, maybe 0.02%, 0.03%, something like that. But some of them are more. Expenses are clearly going to pull down your return if you're investing the exact same thing, but you're paid more for one versus another one. There's going to be uh, obviously a difference in return there. Next would be liquidity. So how often do they trade? How how many shares a day trade? Is it going to be easy to get in and out? Is going to be really important? And then kind of all that sums up into what's called tracking error, which is basically how well does it make? match its benchmark return. Now, if you have a higher fee, that's going to increase that tracking error. If it's low liquidity, it's going to increase that tracking error. So those are things you're going to want to watch out for, but you're going to essentially want the one with the lowest tracking error when you're trying to compare two S&P 500
1: funds. Next one is from Rose. Sarah, it's a four-parter. So let me right. read it all the way through. How much can I gift stocks to my son? Can I still do it for 2022? My trading account is in my name only. Can I still gift from there for my husband as well? Are there any restrictions on my son receiving the stock, hold or sell time frame? Let's So let's go one at a time. All right. How much can I gift stocks to my son?
5: So the annual gift tax exemption is 17000 a year. Per person, per recipient. So if you're married, you can do 34000 But everybody has a lifetime gift tax exemption. So as of 2023, that is about $12.92 million that you can use to make gifts above the annual exclusion without having to pay that gift tax. But there are some forms you need to fill out if you would do that, and that would be called the Form 709. How much? Yeah, almost 13 million. Is that a lot? It's a lot of stock.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay, second part. Uh, can I still do it for 2022?
5: No, you cannot. That's based on the calendar year. It's not like a contribution to your retirement account where you have up to the tax date the next year to contribute to the prior year's account. So gifting is based on the calendar year.
1: Question three. My trading account is in my name only. Can I still gift from there for my husband as well?
5: Yes, you can do a gift split, but you would still have to fill out that form 709.
1: And the final part, are there any restrictions on my son receiving the stock, hold, or sell time frame? No restrictions. Happy birthday, son. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right, next question is anonymous. How often do out-of-favor sectors turn around? Are there sectors that are currently out-of-favor that have long-term opportunities, and are there key indicators? Yeah, that's a great question. So first and foremost, I would say please
6: listen to our SWAT podcast on, on Monday mornings that, that comes out. Our investment team really drills into a lot of this type of information as, as we go through that strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threat framework. A lot of it does relate around different sectors or the market as a whole and kind of where we see opportunity, uh, both short and long term. So I think that's a great resource for you if you've you those types of questions. From our point of view, this happens all the time. Sectors are always changing kind of what their leadership is is within the market really since the financial crisis you know technology has been that one that has really driven a lot of the market return over that time period um, but there's some that have certainly trailed and, but they do ebb and flow based on what's happening you know currently within the market from our standpoint we look to see what sectors we like to favor or sometimes we break that down to what's the factor we're looking for or ultimately what's the theme we're trying to address sometimes that does relate to different sectors but it might also be subsets as well too so things that we like right now energy and that was a sector that was out of favor for a really long time. But due to the underdevelopment and underinvestment in energy companies and drilling and producing that oil out of, out of the ground, you know we got to spots, as you saw, with gas prices over the last year or so that had really skyrocketed. That's a lot of free cash flows coming to those companies now that we think is really, really attractive, even with the pullback in oil lately. But there's certainly you could see sector rotation from time to time, and, and we do like to see that. But sometimes it's you know actually good to see just a couple stocks within a sector that might be defying that trend.
5: And Matt, how often would you say those sectors repeat themselves at that top spot year over year?
6: It's not very common. You know, there is a lot of rotation. Energy, I think, did lead like two years in a row, but it had been like last for quite a while. You know, at one point, the S&P, when you're looking at the weighting of each sector, energy was like 2 or 3% of the entire market. 30 years ago, that was like 30%. So it had pulled back so far mm-hmm. that there was a lot of room for that to really kind of skyrocket and still not really change its, its dynamic within the market as a whole.
1: Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. You're welcome, Danny. Matt Moore the Investment Team Manager. Thank you. Thank you. What's the Annex Wealth Management insurance review, and how might it help you as a client? We're going to talk about that next on Money Talk. The Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. One team, one plan, one fee. Money Talk is straight talk from a local
0: fee-only fiduciary. It's time to know the difference. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management show on WTMJ.
1: Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management, where our client's entire financial picture is important. And that means investments tax planning, estate planning, et cetera, et cetera. And that et cetera includes insurance. Joining me is Eric Strom, CFP and senior financial planner at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me, Danny. So as a fee-only fiduciary, we don't sell insurance products, but we see them all the time, either as a portfolio review tucked within or our current clients have insurance. Any idea how many or what types of insurance policies that we review? Yes, Danny. So we have quite an active
7: insurance review team here at Annex, actually. So it's to the point where it's beyond just what one person can handle. We are reviewing hundreds and hundreds of contracts every single year, and these are long-term care insurance contracts, annuities, life insurance, or sometimes hybrid policies that combine those together. And so we are seeing a lot coming across our desks. Have there been cases
1: where you've said, where somebody has said, well, I've never seen one of these before? Yeah, Danny. So
7: there are hundreds and hundreds of companies that offer these types of products. So we see everything
1: under the sun that you can imagine. Got to ask this. Can we help Annex clients figure out how much life insurance they need? And, of course, you know, if you ever watch TV, you see all sorts of advertisements for that. But I think the question is, really, how much do I need? I mean, it depends on how old you are, what your life situation is.
7: You hit it right on the head there. It completely depends on your situation. So at Annex, we approach everything within the context of a full, comprehensive financial plan, meaning we take all of your assets and your income sources, your expenses, your debts, and put it all into a plan in software. And then once we've done that, we can run different scenarios. So what happens if something tragic happening? You know, there's a disability or a death or a divorce. What does that look like within the financial plan? And then when it comes to life insurance, we can run scenarios and say, well, yeah, if the spouse passed away, how much life insurance is needed to make the financial plan still successful. So we really try to approach this. We don't just pull numbers out of the air. We try to really give our clients a detailed consideration of how much life insurance they need to protect themselves. Is there a ballpark of when you don't need life insurance anymore? Yeah. So, typically, the closer you get to retirement, when you get to your 50s, your 60s and beyond, some folks fade out of needing life insurance and sometimes need long-term care insurance more. So, uh, we're oftentimes actually taking life insurance policies that were very appropriate in people's 30s and 40s and 50s and sometimes suggesting that they maybe reorient
1: towards more like a long-term care insurance type of strategy as they get older. We're with Eric Strom, Senior Financial Planner and a CFP at Annex Wealth Management reviewing how our planning team helps with insurance reviews, and you just mentioned long-term care insurance, and that can be a mystery for many, so we help with that.
7: Yeah, and again, we don't sell any insurance at Annex, but within our that financial plan that I referenced before, we can start running scenarios. What if something happened and you needed long-term care, You know, help with those activities of daily living for, say, three years in your 80s? What would that look like? How much is that going to cost you? And first of all, could you afford it? And even if you can afford it, would you recommend Rather insure that risk away rather than using your own dollars to pay for it so what we do is we create these scenarios within our clients financial plans and show them what would happen with a typical long-term care health event and then in some cases we'll bring in a trusted insurance partner to look at products to address that risk if we identify one are there cases where somebody inherits insurance maybe that would be like an annuity this happens so frequently so very often people who don't even know what an annuity is. Maybe their aging parents own them and maybe the parents pass away and suddenly people are inheriting annuities and they're thinking, what even is this? (laughs) And so um, I have countless times really sat across from clients and helped them understand what it is they're inheriting. And by the way, Danny, when you inherit an annuity, you also inherit a tax bill. So how do you handle that tax bill? You want to handle it responsibly and there's a lot of options for that.
1: You kind of touched on it, but as fee-only fiduciaries, we don't sell insurance products at Annex Wealth Management, but we care for our clients, and when they've got questions, we can guide them. We have resources. Yes. Again, we do not sell the insurance.
7: We help our clients identify when there is a true financial planning need for insurance, and then we bring in who we believe is an appropriate partner for that person, and we have a whole network of partners that we've worked with for a long time that we trust and get that insurance
1: placed when it's needed. Eric Strom is Senior Financial Planner and a CFP at Annex Wealth Management, another resource for our clients. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Danny. Let's talk locations because we've got a bunch Shelm Grove, Lake Country, Mequon, Appleton, Downtown Milwaukee inside the Pfister. We're in Madison, Naples, Florida, Libertyville, Illinois, or AnnexWealth.com. If we can help. Click that Get Started button. Back in a bit on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ.
0: WTMJ, W277CV, and WKTI HD2 Milwaukee from the Annex Wealth Management Studios. This is News Radio WTMJ, a good karma brand station, the longest running weekly personal finance radio show in Wisconsin. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on WTMJ.
2: Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Something a little different to close out the show today. Major League Baseball returned on Thursday, and a number of new changes. And we thought we'd spend a little time talking about that today. And I'm being joined by Greg Matzek. He's a sports director reporter and talk show host at Good Karma Brands. Good Karma, if you don't know, has a footprint stretching from Milwaukee to LA, New York and Florida. Greg, welcome to Money Talk. Yeah, I appreciate it. Good to have the baseball season here too. And it really is nice. I tell you, it's spring season, we can talk about baseball and it's something to get people's minds off all of the issues that we're talking about in the financial world, but a number of new rules are out there and of course, it is going to change the speed of the game. Most importantly, there is a pitch clock, so so explain to everybody the fifteen and the twenty.
8: Yeah. So this is really interesting, and and I wasn't sure how much I'd appreciate the pitch clock until I actually saw it, and uh, instantly after a pitch in Major League Baseball, you'd go to your phone, right? We got time here. If you do that, you're going to miss a pitch. Yeah. Like things are happening quicker, which baseball ultimately wants. So if there's a runner on base, pitcher has twenty seconds from the time he receives the ball from the catcher right. to throw a pitch. And if there's nobody on base, he has 15 seconds. That clock starts. There's somebody in the press box controlling
2: the start, stop, and reset. Greg, let me ask you. There was somebody who got called a third strike because the batter wasn't ready.
8: Yeah, so the batter needs to be attentive and ready to receive a pitch at the eight-second mark. Right. (laughs) And if they're not ready to rock, if they're not paying attention, they're going to get a strike called on him. And, and this
2: and this guy had two strikes on him, so yes.
8: he was called out. He was called out. And at Wrigley Field, when the Brewers played the Cubs on opening day, Marcus Stroman of the Cubs was the first pitcher in regular season, Major League Baseball, to be called for a pitch clock violation. Yeah. And a ball was awarded to Christian yellow who ultimately walked <laughs> in that right. at-bat.
2: So it is going to speed up the games. There's no question, if you're on the East Coast, of course, you're going to be home at you know, 9 o'clock to watch another <laughs> episode of Seinfeld. But it's going to quicken the games. Uh, you were in Chicago at Wrigley Field, and it was 2.20 or something was the entire game time.
8: Yeah, and I was looking at overall averages, right? I mean, the Brewers had four hits on opening day. That's going to be a, a pretty quick game regardless. Right. Uh, but there was a game that was... 10-9, that was under three hours. That's so I, I think for me, Dave, baseball, yes, they're trying to speed things up, but I put it under a larger umbrella of increasing the quality of entertainment. Right. That if it is a three-hour game, and you're still going to have plenty of those, you're also getting a lot of action with that. Right. Baseball is scared to death of having three minutes passed between the ball being put in play.
2: They want action. They want things happening. And it's going to be good. It's going to be good for the viewer. I don't know if it's going to be good as much for the people who go to the game. You know, there's certainly people who come in late and leave early and go and get a cocktail or a drink and a hot dog, and that game is going to go by quick. So it's certainly going to uh, increase the speed of the game, and we'll see how that goes along. A bunch of other new rules that we do want to talk about. There is a shift in baseball where you can put a number of infielders on one side for a guy who is a power hitter, and that rule has changed.
8: Yeah, so players are going to be in their more traditional positions instead of you know, seeing somebody in short right field and wondering if that's the second baseman or the shortstop—who's out there? Right uh, now, you've got to be more dialed into your traditional positions, and and this again will allow certain hitters who tend to pull the ball almost exclusively. I, I think their batting average is
2: likely to go up a little bit. Right. Um, you well, know, let, me, let me ask you a question: It's just the infielders who can not shift. That doesn't mean, for example, if you're a dead pull hitter, that you the outfielder can come in right and stay on the grass. True. So I think you're going to see a breaking of that rule. So just shift the center fielder over to, you know, left or right, wherever it is appropriate, and the left or right fielder to center and bring that guy up. I think you're going to see that rule get broken. We'll have to see if they make modifications. You,
8: you certainly could, right? And baseball is going to monitor all that kind of stuff. But, again, they, they want the ball in play. They, they don't want home run or strikeout to right. be the only result. And that was starting to take over in baseball a and, couple of years ago.
2: And so now four and a half inches. Explain what that means.
8: Okay. Well, there's a lot of ways you can go with that. But we'll talk about the, uh, the base paths specifically. So the bases now look like they're the size of a large pizza box. <laughs> Like, it really is noticeably bigger if you go down to the field level. And the the ultimate distance between first and second and second and third is slightly less than it was with traditional base sizes, still about 90 feet. But the reason you're going to see more stolen bases is pitchers are now governed on how many pickoff attempts they can make to first base or second base. So after the second pickoff attempt, if you make a third, you have to get the runner out. You Maybe. have to pick him what, off. And what if you don't? It's a balk.
5: So they, They're so awarded they
8: the pick. next base. Right. So what I think you're going to see is it's almost like a do-or-die scenario. The pitcher can still make that pickoff attempt, right. and you might get a base runner starting to lean a little bit, thinking, hey, they've already come over here twice. They're not going to do it again. And they might get picked off. Or they'll be awarded second base. But I think either way, you're going to see more runners in motion. Right. Maybe not to the level of 100 stolen bases like you saw in the late 80s. Right.
2: But you're going to see guys with 50, 60 stolen bases, and there no And there was a number of them that happened uh, this week, a more stolen bases uh, already this week than what we've seen. So they're certainly going to make a difference in in how in the speed of the game. So we're excited about it. We're excited to talk baseball for just a bit, and I appreciate you coming on today. Greg Matzik, sports director, reporter, and talk show host for Good Karma Brands. Thanks for joining us, Greg. Yeah, my pleasure.
1: It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Good to get caught up, both with baseball with the markets Your investment, your retirement planning, your tax planning, your estate planning. If we look back on the last hour, we really had representation from all of those four categories. Started out with our week in review. We got into you know retirement planning, stuff like supporting adult children. Ask Annex is always in-depth and lots of different questions. And then toward the end, the Annex Wealth Management Insurance Assessment. How can we help you? Find out. Until you join us, you really won't know. For Elite Wealth Management from a fee-only fiduciary, click that get started button AnnexWealth.com. we'll see you next saturday at 10 o'clock if not find us on spotify this is money talk the annex wealth management show on 620 wtmj advice
0: and opinions expressed
1: during money talk the annex wealth
0: management show are solely that of the hosts or guests of annex wealth management and not wtmj radio or good karma brands milwaukee llc